One of the things I figured out while videoing is that if I put this down here and I stay up on the step, I feel a lot taller. <laughs> Especially when I come along after David as well. <clears throat> um, speaking of you know, being video recording, probably, yeah, I said this last week, probably the, the one question that David and myself and, and I'm sure the rest of the staff got asked most often during that time over the past year has been, when are we going back to church? And the answer to that question is, well, it was so often out of our control. Uh, and even now, we still need to be watching the news closely, don't we, to, to ensure that we can continue to gather and under what conditions that is, such as the masks. I, my issue with singing in the mask is I didn't know if I needed to prop it up over my chin or down under my nose as, as I moved. And Anyway, we'll figure that out over the coming weeks, I'm sure. But that question about when are we going back to church, it reveals, uh, it reveals two things. Firstly, it reveals the recognition that what we were doing online was not church. And realistically, it was never intended to be either. There, there are no doubt plenty of ways in which we could have done our online church better. But in, in one sense, we wanted it to be intentionally underwhelming because it was never intended to, nor could it replace the actual experience of, of church. Because the second thing that that question asks, you know, in talking about going back to church, the second thing that that then points to is this fundamental reality that the church is this. The church is this gathered assembly of God's people in a particular time and a place to worship Him together. This is church. Not, you know, the service as such, not, not the building we're in, not the activities we run, not our, you know, videos online even. But church is the gathering together of God's people with the specific intent to worship him, to hear from him and to then obey him. And so this song of ascent that we're looking at today, we're in this series looking at a few of the Psalms from the later part of the book that are all labelled Psalms or songs of ascent. The one that we're looking at today speaks directly into the place that we find ourselves in today. It's Psalm 122 and it opens with this verse. It says, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Yeah, after 10 months or so of being unable to gather all together, we celebrate this opportunity that we have to do so. When it was getting a bit of a drag to continue to try to rally the family to gather around the TV to, to watch the service online, now we're able to come again with eagerness. We're coming early. We rejoice in this opportunity that we have to come together to church. And for the psalmist, it was a similar experience. The ancient Israelites were meant to go to Jerusalem three times a year for these annual festivals. However, the practicalities of doing so, especially if they lived more remotely, meant that it didn't always happen as regularly as that. So when the family or when the village said, we're going this time, there was rejoicing and there was anticipation. It was not... You know, I humped and carried on when they told me I had to go to the house of the Lord. It was not, you know what, I guess I should because it's been a while that I agreed to go to the house of the Lord. It was not, I don't even see the point of going to the house of the Lord. It was, I rejoiced and I was eager when they said, let's go 
to the house of the Lord together. The thought of going to Jerusalem and to the temple to worship God with his people was something that the psalmist wanted to do. He recognised the importance and the significance. He recognised the need and the value of it. And so he rejoiced at the opportunity. And we see that as we get to verse 2. He says, Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. And it kind of loses it without you know, punctuation. But, but it's like he's saying, we're here. Look at where we are. We are in Jerusalem. Can you believe it? Verse 1 is looking back at the call to come to worship. And verse 2 is the excitement about them being here. It's like last week and probably this week too, all the conversations that we have about, oh, it's good to finally be back together. And you know, like we probably can't keep up that level of enthusiasm week after week. But there is a sense in which we should joyfully anticipate being at church. We spend our weeks in a God-denying society, surrounded by challenges to our faith, exhausted by juggling all the demands of work and life, all of which can then just so easily push God to the side in our own lives. We have our why God and our what, what's the point of faith and, and our God doesn't seem to make a difference moments. We see the inconsistency in our own lives between what we profess and then what we live out. We see agendas that are counter to the scriptures prospering and advancing. We see our friends and our family wonder about the relevance of God and of faith and of church. And then on Sunday, on Sunday we gather. We go to the house of the Lord and we worship. Here we remind ourselves of who God is and of what he has done. Here we experience encouragement and prayer. Here we find sanctuary. Here our flagging spirits and our dying hope is bolstered. Here we are filled up again. Here we are reminded that God is real, that God is good, that God is present. Now, do we have to come to church for this? No, we don't. But is church God's, God, God's good design to provide for and care for his people? Yeah. You know, when, when our phone gets flat, when it changes to you know, low power mode and then it drops lower and lower and lower, we are desperate to put it back onto a charger. Do we have to? No, not really. But is there an internal pull and a sense of urgency within us to do so? Yeah. And, and, and when our battery is then fully charged, is there some sense in which we feel now restored and satisfied and that life is good again? Unfortunately, yes. But similar to that is how it should be for us as we consider gathering together as the church to worship. It's, it's God's intent for us to build us up, to encourage us, to keep us going on, to recharge us and fill us up again. And so the psalmist, he's excited to be standing in Jerusalem's gates. We're excited to be in the house of the Lord together. 
But for, so for the psalmist, he's excited, standing in the gates, and this then prompts him uh, as he looks at the city to, to then consider the wonders of it. He says from verse 3, Jerusalem is built like a city that's closely compacted together. And that is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. You know, a couple of weeks ago, before any breakout or anything, Mary and I had a night down in Melbourne. It's all good. We're all okay. And Melbourne's an incredible place to be. You know, we were, we were on a higher floor in the building where we were staying, so we could look out our window and see these, you know, rooftop gardens and, and spaces that, that were there. We could walk to nearby amazing food places. There's incredible architecture, you know, certainly new but, but old, some of those old church buildings and, and such that are there. It, it's incredible. There's, it's a hive of activity with people everywhere. And as the psalmist surveys Jerusalem, he was struck by, by all these features. It was a city that was closely compacted together. It was this bustling, vibrant place full of people. And rather than griping about population density, he saw in it a sense of God's abundance, a sense of God's provision for the great numbers of his people. And further, having gone there for, for this festival, he witnessed all the tribes of the Lord gathering there. All of God's people from their various groups and their various locations had all come together. It was a place of fellowship and of community, a place of connection and, and reconnection. And the purpose of this community gathering, this coming together, was to praise God together. That was the purpose of the festivals to praise and give thanks to God for what he had done, whether it was you know, in the realities of daily life in such as providing a harvest uh, that had just been collected, or whether it was in larger matters such as salvation. But either way, they would be a prompt to corporate praise and thanksgiving to God. And then the psalmist reflects on these thrones of judgment, the fact that it's in Jerusalem that decisions for the well-being of the community and their, their following after God together are, are made. And we saw this you know, as we were looking through the book of Acts last year, you know, the council that was held in Jerusalem in, in Acts chapter 15. As Eugene Peterson says, judgment, judgment does things. It's putting love in action, applying mercy, nullifying wrong, ordering goodness. So from Jerusalem, the whole community is is rightly ordered and governed so that they can live out their identity as God's people. Now, it's, it's easy, it's, it's far too easy to criticise the church, the church in general and, and even ours specifically. You know, we criticise the things that we've done or that we've not done, the ways uh, that we've stepped into things or the way that we've stayed out of things what we teach or what we don't teach. You know, there's, there's lots for us to be able to criticise and to do so. And Jerusalem was not perfect, just as we're not. But the psalmist chose to focus his attention on what was good in Jerusalem and to see the ways in which God was at work in and through that place. Both Jerusalem for the psalmist and the church for us are a witness to God's goodness and his abundance. 
they are a place to unite God's people in fellowship and in his praise. And a place where we rightly order our lives to live according to his will. One of the conversations I had about church over this time when we weren't gathering was this idea of thinking about our experience of church as like a wedding or like a family meal. At a wedding, it's all about the event and everything needs to be, you know, just right. All the focus is on the few participants up the front and everyone else passively spectates. At a family meal, though, it's, it's all about relationship. In some ways, the food doesn't matter because it's about being together around the table. It's much more casual. It doesn't matter if there's a disaster in the kitchen. And everyone is mutually in focus as everyone participates and contributes. Well, both, both views and understandings of church are, are really valid and have their place. And the psalmist recognises this as he finishes this song. He's gone to Jerusalem for the festival. He's gone for, for the, the wedding event, if you like. But as the psalm closes, he shifts his focus to the family relationships from verse 6, he says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, Peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. This is a transition that we need to make too. We don't just gather at the Sunday event and that's, that's it for being the church. And we don't leave all the work to just the people up the front. What we do at the event needs to overflow from all of us into the relationships that we have with each other outside of Sunday. And so the psalmist prays for the well-being and the flourishing and the ease of Jerusalem. And he does so for the sake and benefit of his family and his friends and for the house of the Lord our God. Now, why is this prayer for Jerusalem significant? I mean, certainly we can see both in, in history, you know, within the scriptures and beyond that, and also in the present day that Jerusalem itself is, is a city that is a hotbed of conflict. And so in this sense, it's entirely appropriate for us to pray for its peace and security. But it's also a place that is symbolic of the people of God living under the rule of God. So if we were to kind of paraphrase these verses to how they would speak to us today, as to pray for the well-being and ease and prosperity of the people who make up the church. We don't just gather at the Sunday event with these people around us and, and that's it. That's not the only connection uh, that, that there is, that we just happen to be sitting next to these people. We pray for one another outside of the Sunday we pray that they would live increasingly experiencing the wholeness that results from fulfilling God's will in their lives. We pray that they would face life from the stance of knowing that God is over us, that God is with us, and that God is for us in Christ. We pray God's good for them, whatever that might be. And we do so, we pray these things because living in such a way proclaims and points to the God who is over us, points to that reality in our own lives 
and in the lives of those who watch and observe us. This is a psalm that celebrates the gathering together of God's people to worship him and to help each other to live in his ways. So I think we're, we're left with a few questions as we hold up our lives to the mirror of this scripture. A few questions such as, how do we feel about going to church? <laughs> is it a have to or is it a I get to? Are we coming together in unity? Or are we actually keeping ourselves separate from certain people? Do we submit ourselves to what we hear from God's word, knowing that it's for our good? Are we praying for each other outside of Sundays? And praying not just for Aunt Petunia's sore toe, but for God's good work in your life? One last thought as I wind up that's prompted by those questions. You know, as we think about such questions, how do we feel about coming? You know, are we coming in unity? Do we submit? You know, are we praying for each other? As we think about those questions, I think our answers to those questions are significantly shaped by how we understand, experience and perceive the church. I mean, church is not perfect, not by any means. And if we are focused on the negatives and the failures of the church, understandably, that will shape our, our attitude towards it. But there's another vision of the church, one that David has already somewhat alluded to in leading us into communion, but it's one that we see in Ephesians chapter 5. And it says there that Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. If you want church to be perfect before you go to it, then you never will. But Christ loved the church and died for her so that she can become pure and holy and without stain and blemish, so that she would be uh, what we want to be a part of and, and be, be at. Now, we're a long way off from that reality, I get that. But that's what we are, and that's what we are becoming by the work of Christ in us and for us. Jesus didn't die for this building. He didn't die for our services. He, he didn't die for our governance structure. Jesus gave himself up in love for the people, his people, the, the people of his who gather in his name to declare his praise and who together become more and more like him. Jesus loved and died for us, the church. And so we're not passive spectators of his work in us and through us. We're not passive spectators of him making us holy and blameless and without blemish. Like We are active participants in that. We are active participants with God and with each other. And that's why I rejoiced when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let's pray. 
God, we so thank you that we are able to gather in this way um, with your people. We do rejoice that we are able to be in the house of the Lord. We do rejoice that we can come together to worship you and to be in fellowship with one another. God, I pray for your work in us and through us, that church is not just something we go to, but church is something that we are, and that church is something that helps us to become who you intend us to be. God, we pray that in our lives, individually and corporately, may we become more and more like Jesus. May we submit joyfully and willingly to his word over us, May we pray for one another that your good work in us would would be evidence, that we'd experience your peace and your security and your prosperity, your abundance and your goodness towards us. And may we rejoice. May the thought of Sundays, of coming out of all that our week has been, to be together with others who know you and love you and worship you, may the thought of Sundays, God, bring joy to our hearts as we celebrate together and worship you for what you have done for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.